0: Good day and welcome to today's Pro Assurance Third Quarter Earnings Conference Call. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. For opening remarks and introductions, I would like to turn the call over to Mr. Frank O'Neill. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being with us to discuss another solid quarter that extends our strong results for 2010. We issued a news release Wednesday afternoon reporting results for the third quarter in nine months ended September 30, 2010. That release, along with our SEC filings, including the 10-Q file this morning, are designed to provide you with important, detailed information about our company, as well as disclosures regarding forward-looking statements. We're explicitly identifying statements we make today dealing with projections, estimates, expectations as forward-looking statements subject to various risks. This is especially true for any discussion of our proposed transaction with American Physicians Service Group. These risks could cause our actual results to differ materially from current projections or expectations. We will not undertake and expressly disclaim any obligation to alter or, excuse me, update or alter forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information or future events, unless required by law or regulation. The content of this call is accurate only on Thursday, November 4, 2010, the date of first broadcast. If you are reading a transcript of this call, please know we did not authorize it and have not reviewed it for accuracy. Thus, it may contain factual or transcription errors that could materially alter the intent or meaning of our statements. A final reminder, we're going to reference non-GAAP items in our call today. Please refer to our recent filing on Form 10-Q and our recent news release for a reconciliation of those non-GAAP numbers to their GAAP counterparts. On the call today is our Chairman and CEO, Stan Starnes, our President, Vic Adamo, Chief Financial Officer, Ned Rand, and Chief Underwriting Officer and Actuary, Howard Friedman. We'll start with Stan. Thanks, Frank.
2: The results we reported yesterday were, again, quite positive. The long-term approach we take to our operations and investments continues to serve our shareholders and policyholders well, and our discussion today will underscore that. Our comments on the state of our industry and our strategy to enhance our leadership position through careful growth and the disciplined use of our capital will showcase our ability to create value for our shareholders and security for our policyholders.
1: Frank? Thanks, Stan. Ned, will you give us a uh, brief financial discussion?
3: Thanks, Frank. Based on some of the questions we received after last quarter's call, I'll start again with the top line and work my way down. Gross premium written was $159 million in the quarter, a decline of $9.6 million from the prior year quarter. $6.9 million, or 72% of that decline, is due to the continued selective offering of two-year policies. First written premium was $415 million for the nine months ended September 30th, a decline of $20 million period over period. But of that, of that $20 million decline, $16.6 million or 83% was due to the effect of two year policies. That's why we suggest you also focus on net earned premium, where we can see the effect of the two year policies coming into our income stream. Comparing Q three 2010 to Q three two thousand nine the decline was $1.7 million, just 1%. For the year-to-date, net earned premium was up $15.5 million, or 4%, when compared against the prior year-to-date, due to the addition of PICA. If you exclude the effect of PICA, year-to-date net earned premium was down 2.6%. Moving on to investments, our net investment result in the third quarter was $34.4 million, down 15% compared to last year. Within the net investment result, net investment income was down $2.9 million quarter over quarter due to lower interest rates, despite having more money to invest. You'll note a $1.3 million loss in the equity and unconsolidated subsidiaries in the quarter, a $2.9 million change from last year's $1.6 million gain. As we have discussed in the past, this line can be quite volatile, but we remain confident that the investments we are making here will provide excess returns over the long term. As we mentioned last quarter, we have also begun investing in federal tax credits, and these do have an impact on our reported results. The benefit from a tax credit comes in the form of a reduction in our current tax liability and thus flows through the tax line on the income statement, not the investment line. The tax benefit recognized for the quarter related to these credits was approximately $750,000. We did have a net realized investment gain of $14.7 million in the quarter as we pared down our exposure to municipal bonds and built up cash in preparation for the completion of the APS transaction. Once again this quarter, our total expenses are up, and again this quarter, the majority of the increase relates to PICA and the purchase accounting impact of the PICA transaction. As we discussed last quarter, purchase accounting required us to eliminate PICA's deferred acquisition costs at the time PICA became a part of our company in 2009. As a result, we were deferring more costs than we were expensing during the first 12 months of our ownership of PICA. Net favorable loss reserve development was $33.4 million in the quarter, which reduced our net loss ratio to 61.3% in the quarter. Favorable development would have been $1.6 million higher had we not commuted a prior reinsurance agreement during the quarter. Year-to-date, favorable reserve development is $95.9 million compared to $98 million in the same period last year. That reduces the net loss ratio for the year to 59.9%. The bottom line for the quarter, operating income was $42 million, or $1.30, per diluted share, and net income was $51 million, or $1.59, per diluted share. For the first nine months of 2010, operating income was $123 million, or $3.80, per diluted share, and net income was $130 million, or $3.99, per diluted share. Our return on equity in the the quarter was 11.3% and is 9.8% for the nine-month period. Book value is at $58.90, which is 12% higher than year-end and 17% higher than September 30th, 2009. We bought back 975,000 shares of our stock in the quarter at a total cost of $55.3 million. And all but 5,600 of those shares were bought below Q3 ending book value. Since quarter end, we have repurchased an additional 169,500 shares under the terms of our 10B51 plan at a total cost of $9.7 million. All in, we've repurchased 1.8 million shares this year at a cost of $104 million. We have approximately $11 million left in our current authorization. Frank? Thanks, Ned. Next, we'll go to Howard to
1: comment on lost trends and their effect on rates and the market in general. Howard? Uh-huh. Thanks, Frank. This continues to be a tough market, but one in which we're able to retain the vast
4: majority of our business and add some new premiums at rates which we believe meet our criteria for long-term profitability. Retention in our consolidated physician medical professional liability book was 90% in the third quarter. Retaining that level of business in a very competitive market says a great deal to us about the value value that our insureds perceive in a pro-assurance policy and the promise of treated fairly. We wrote $8.4 million of new business in the quarter. $7.9 million of that was new medical professional liability business. I think this level of retention, especially in core states, and the writing of relatively minor amounts of new business, is characteristic of the market right now. Average renewal pricing on expiring premiums rose 2% in the third quarter, which is a turnaround from the 1% decrease in the third quarter of 2009. The level of pricing stability and the loyalty among our existing customers tells us we should be able to maintain our existing book of business when the market does turn. It should also put us in a solid position to acquire a new business if competitors raise prices to compensate for what we perceive to be aggressive pricing in the past 18 to 24 months. The favorable development in the quarter continues to emerge largely from accident years 2004 through 2008. Loss costs remain lower than the estimates we used when we established the reserves for those years, due to the manageable 4% to 5% upward trend in overall severity. The other half of the loss trend equation, frequency, remains stable, something we've reported for several quarters after a long period of declining frequency. Let me spend just a minute on the loss ratio. Our current accident year loss ratio in the quarter was 86.9% a two-point increase over the same quarter a year ago. This was due to a small shift in the mix of business, much of it the purchase of one large tail coverage policy. We booked tail policies at a higher initial loss ratio than our standard policies due to the permanent nature of tail coverage and the higher level of uncertainty about ultimate loss costs on this coverage.
1: Frank? Thanks, Howard. We'll change over and switch gears a little bit now. Vic, can we get an update on the progress of the proposed
5: acquisition with American Physician Services Group? Sure. Happy to bring everyone up to date, Frank. We were informed yesterday that the Texas Department of Insurance has approved the transaction, so that clears the last regulatory hurdle. The transaction received early termination of the HSR waiting period in October. American Physicians, or APS as I'll refer to them, mailed their proxy statements last week in preparation for a special meeting of shareholders on November 29th. APS expects approval of the transaction given the value it will create for their shareholders. Assuming that shareholder approval, we're on track to close sometime in the first few days of December. We're well into the integration planning and have our roadmap laid out to bring APS into Pro assurance. As in past transactions, we'll go slowly and methodically to ensure that our customer-focused parts of the APS organization remain in place and are bolstered by the financial strength of ProAssurance and energized by the additional services and products we can bring to their insureds. At the same time, we're going to be able to learn from APS. They have a deep understanding of the Texas market with a focus on large groups that will bring experience, knowledge, and value to ProAssurance. In summary, we're proceeding as expected, Frank. Okay.
1: Thank you, Vic. Ned, the transaction is expected to close, as Vic said, in the fourth quarter, so APS will be part of the proassurance financials at year in. Can you speak a bit on how that might affect the important line items and the required accounting for transaction costs?
3: Yeah, sure, Frank, thanks. I'd like to remind everyone that current accounting guidance requires that we expense virtually all costs associated with an M&A transaction. So costs that were capitalized in prior transactions will be expensed with APS. We estimate that we will incur between 13 and $14 million in transaction costs related to the APS transaction. About $10 million related to banking and legal fees and immediate executive severance will be expensed in Q4. And the remainder, which is virtually all related to severance benefits, will be incurred in 2011 and spread relatively evenly through the year. These costs are in addition to the $2.5 million APS APS has publicly estimated it will incur prior to the merger. Keep in mind that we will be adding premium to our top line for some or all of December. We can't predict what that might be, but in December last year, the written premium was approximately $6 million. Frank? Thanks, Ned. Stan, any final
1: comments before we take questions?
2: Thanks, Frank. The operational part of our business continued to perform well in the quarter. No surprises there. I think we demonstrated that we continue to be serious about effectively and efficiently managing our capital. And I'm confident that our M&A strategy has borne fruit with our proposed transaction with APS. As I said in our news release, it's a strategic transaction for us, one that allows us to expand our footprint and add additional high-quality premium at a reasonable price. Achieving this kind of growth especially in a vibrant market such as Texas, is a real positive for ProAssurance. One final note, Frank. For those of you who haven't seen the recently released Moody's Statistical Handbook highlighting the 2009 results of the 100 largest U.S. property casualty companies, I'd like to share a few items with you. ProAssurance is ranked the 79th largest P&C writer up from the 95th largest in 2008. In 2009, Moody's reports that ProAssurance ranked first in core return on premium and in operating ratio, second in combined ratio, and fifth in loss and LAE ratio. And all of those rankings are a repeat of our top tier performance in 2008. One other fact, Moody's ranks us seventh among the top 100 P&C companies in the United States in return on surplus or equity for 2009. I take two things away from these rankings. First, the sustained performance year over year is a testament to the discipline with which we operate our business. And second, our performance within that top 100 underscores the success of our long-term operating
1: philosophy. Frank? Frank? Thanks, Dan. Jennifer, we're ready for questions now.
0: All right, very good. The question and answer session will be conducted electronically. If you would like to ask a question, please do so by pressing the star key, followed by the digit 1 on your tone telephone. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. And once again, if you would like to ask a question at this time, it is star 1, and we'll take a moment to assemble our queue. We'll go first uh, to our first question from Marcus with SunTrust.
6: Uh, thank you very much. On the uh, rate increase, was that pretty broad-based? Was it concentrated in just a few places? And then uh, did you lead the upward trend, or is that in line with the overall market, do you think?
4: Hi, Mark. It's uh, Howard. Uh, it's it's really a combination of, of things, and a lot of it really comes out of the uh, the podiatry book of business, um, the podiatry business has uh, a little different characteristic in terms of competition in the market, and I think also in terms of the, uh, the timing of loss changes. Um, there has been some increase over the past several years in lost costs on podiatry that uh, had not been seen in the MD uh, and osteopathic physician market, in other words, uh, the traditional or historical pro- assurance business. So podiatry rates uh, have been increasing, and that is probably most of the dynamic on the rate on the rate increases. Uh, if, if you were to break it down on the uh, pro assurance historical rates were pretty flat, and uh, but podiatry was was up,
6: and that's what was driving the overall. That uh, historical flat rate. How does that compare to uh, say first six months or last year? I
4: think in the, if I recall, in the in the second quarter we were um, on the historical we were flat as well, and uh, last year was down about uh, a point or so. So, the the if you will on the historical uh, physician business, the MD business uh, rates have been
6: relatively
4: constant on renewal, uh, but podiatry has been increasing.
6: And then uh the. uh, howard the uh, you had a sequential dip in favorable development is still uh, very healthy but uh, down sequentially which runs counter to your historical trend which was normally increases through the year anything we ought to read into that
4: no I well I think the thing I would read into it is the fact that we do look at this every quarter and and there isn't and there shouldn't be a pattern and we we don't look for it to be a pattern we're really just looking at at what we see in the results and and how the overall uh, collection of pieces fall together uh, as Ned mentioned we had a commutation a reinsurance commutation during the quarter which uh, brought down uh, the otherwise favorable development by 1.6 million it would have been 35 million turned out to be 33.4 so on that basis without that it would have been maybe closer to what you were anticipating uh, also I think another way to look at it is if you looked at things more in terms of percentage of prior uh, year-end reserves, and on that basis, we're actually quite consistent with where we were last year. Thank you.
0: We'll take our next question from Matt Rohrman with KBW.
7: Uh, Gentlemen, good morning. Uh, just had one question uh, related to uh, the APS deal. Uh, I was talking to some folks yesterday that said, uh, the, the doctor applications in Texas have been growing about 4,000 a year and that's uh, kind of been a record high over the last five years. i was curious to see how long something like that could continue in the state and are you seeing that type of growth in any other states?
2: Oh, it's Stan, uh, we, we certainly haven't seen that type of growth in terms of applications in any of our states. We hear anecdotally uh, same sorts of things you're hearing and factually we know that the number of licensed physicians in Texas has been increasing in recent years and that's why this transaction is so important to us so I hope what you heard yesterday is true
7: (laughs) all right thank you very much
0: we'll take our next question from Beth Malone with Wunderlich Securities
8: okay thank you good morning A couple of questions on the – I know, uh, Howard, we have this discussion quite often about the trends in the reserve development, and uh, you've been pretty consistent in saying that it's not really predictable. However, um, the uh, reserve development that you have recorded in the fourth quarter of the last two or three years has been significantly higher. Than the reserve development you experienced in the first three quarters of each of those years, going back to at least 2007. So my question is, can you uh, explain why that might occur?
4: Sure. Uh, the The process that that we go through, and and we do, as I mentioned, uh, certainly look at things on every quarter, but we we have a pretty long term view of the business, as you know, and and you need that in this business because things change gradually. Uh, it, it's rare that you see some type of immediate change in, in a in a quarter. Uh, so we, we spend a lot of time at the end of the year really looking back and trying to look forward, doing a, a more intricate, more thorough, if you will, type analysis. And that's when we make most of our decisions, trying to get the perspective of what has happened over the the course of the past year. In the interim quarters, we're looking at what kind of changes, if any, we've seen in claim closing patterns and claim average costs. Uh, We we certainly look at frequency in terms of establishing the current accident year uh, loss pick. But in terms of prior year development, we're really looking at a fairly limited number of cases in any given quarter. And you might say, well, we could go back and look on a rolling basis. But really, the, the, the way that we've established our methodology and our pattern is to do a, a very full analysis at year end. And, and that's what we're geared around, and, and that's usually when we make the, the major decisions as to what the prior year Changes in ultimate loss costs would be. So that's about the best answer I could give you. It's really a, a matter of methodology.
8: Okay, uh, along those lines, too, with uh, the acquisition of uh, American Services, uh, do you, are, are the, is there a reserving methodology comparable to ProAssurance, or will there be changes to how they've been reserving relative to how ProAssurance does it?
4: Uh, in terms of, I think, the overall approach to the business, I think it's, it's been quite similar. Uh, we spent a lot of time looking at, um, their reserve, uh, analyses, uh, reserve adequacy and so forth. We were pleased with what we, we saw. So I don't, uh, I don't foresee any significant changes. Uh, uh, APS has, or AMPH has used, um, a, uh, actuarial consulting firm for many years and has a, a good track record with that firm and we're likely in the short term to continue to get some guidance from that firm and then decide where we're going in in the future but uh, i don't I don't really expect any changes, and I don't see a need for any major adjustments. Okay,
0: thank you. We'll take our next question for a minute. Kumar with McQu- uh, Mcquire.
7: Uh, Thanks, and uh, good morning. Uh, Very quickly, uh, maybe just touching upon the the investment income discussion, Um, obviously that number fluctuates uh, going forward. Uh, In terms of those buckets uh, which you have, you know, those uh, high-yield ABS, long-short and non-public equities, is, is that bucket going to remain fairly constant in the near future based on the interest rates? Uh, or, or, or could that change uh, going forward? I,
3: admit, hey, it's Ned. Um, I don't know if there's, there's one single answer to that. Uh, most of those investments that we make kind of outside of our core portfolio are, are typically um, with, with a very long-term time horizon. Um, so our expectation is, is those investments are going to be ten or more years. Um, on the, on the high-yield asset act in particular, that was a fund that actually the, the fund – uh, the, the, the partnership was unwound um, during the quarter, and, and the assets were distributed. And so that's actually for this quarter coming out um, uh, of that bucket. And the vast majority of the securities related to that investment, to the extent they were distributed to us, have been sold, or we're planning to sell them. Um, but we are continuing to add investments under that kind of under that bucket of, of alternative investments, and most recently the tax credits that we mentioned and we did, we would expect that we're going to continue to add
7: to the tax credits over the, the next six to 12 months okay uh, that's helpful and and just moving on uh, going back to the the broader discussion on uh, lost costs uh, frequency is still stable uh, I, I'm just wondering um, how long do you expect that to uh, you know remain stable and maybe also talk about uh, you know, yesterday's or uh, I, I just say before so election results in your core states, and uh, how does that change your thought process on lost costs going forward?
2: Uh, a minute stand uh, in terms of frequency. You know, it's uh, something that we look at very closely, but we don't make predictions about it. This historically has been a volatile line of business, and one of the reasons it has been volatile has been a fluctuation in lost cost, including frequency. Uh, frequency is stable. There was a long period of declining frequency. Nobody is sure why it went down. Nobody can be sure that it will remain at its current level, and we don't make any predictions about it. We just evaluate it. Uh, in terms of the elections, um, <clears throat> you know, what one would hope is that the elections foretell a increasingly uh, – Hospitable business environment in this country and that we will be in a position like every other business to benefit from, from that environment. We hope it will increase the certainty which confronts everyone trying to operate a business in this country and because uncertainty is very much a detriment to the operation of a business. If you're talking specifically about tort reform on a federal level, uh, we certainly hope that the new Congress and the administration will endorse a meaningful tort reform to protect physicians. Uh, but we're not managing our business on the assumption that it will. There was a period of time in the earlier part of the first decade of this century in which the Republican Party had control of both houses of Congress and the White House, and tort reform was not passed. So while we hope it will happen, we're not operating our business on the assumption that it will.
7: And, and, and on the state level? Uh, the state
2: level, you know, it just will vary from state to state. And, again, there are a number of states that have not had a ruling yet on the constitutionality of previously enacted tort reform. Uh, and so I just think you have to evaluate every state separately. Uh, I think the number one issue in most states, probably every state, is the economy. And the hope is that that as the economy strengthens, our business will strengthen as a consequence of that. But I don't have any way of of presuming that there will be a new widespread endorsement of tort reform in various states.
7: Got it. Uh, That's all I have. Thanks, and uh, congrats on the results. Thank you.
0: We'll take our next question from Raymond Ardello with Oppenheimer.
7: Thanks. Good
3: morning, um, Howard. Can you uh, give us a little bit more color, I guess, on the uh, the commutation
6: in the quarter?
4: Sure. It, it was the commutation of a relatively uh, small reinsurance contract that we had related to a, a captive uh, arrangement with one of our large accounts. And as a result, uh, a lot of times in commutations when you're you're looking at the present value and so forth, you wind up with a loss on commutation, and that's what this one was.
3: Got it. Do you have a lot of other um, types of captive reinsurance arrangements, or is that kind of one of your –
6: the last of that type of business?
4: Uh, It's not the last of it, but on the other hand, we don't have a lot of them. Uh, The the captive arrangements, um, you know, tend to come up more in the hard market or the hard portion of the market cycle, and we always tell – uh, anyone who's interested in a captive that they have to look at it for the long term—it's not something that you get into and 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 then easily get out of. Uh, so we do have some that are ongoing and, and expect to continue. Uh, this was just one where the group decided that they would uh, prefer to go back to first-dollar coverage. Got
6: it. Thanks. And then, um, if my memory serves uh, me correct, I guess your reinsurance program was up for renewal on October 1st.
3: Yes, it was. Um, Can you give us an update, I guess, on terms? uh, Were they similar, and I guess, pricing on the on the program?
4: Sure. Um, Yes, we did renew October one. The structure of the program remained uh, the same. Uh, We we had some pricing improvement in our hospital and facilities uh, excess loss, you know, uh, reinsurance costs, which we uh, hope will make us more competitive in the in the hospital market. We had a pretty high level of interest in the program and uh, brought on a few uh, additional reinsurers with uh, small shares. But the program continues to be uh, led by the historical uh, lead reinsurers, Aspen, Hanover Re, Transatlantic Re, and we have a mix of uh, both international and domestic uh, reinsurers on the program.
5: Great. That's all I have. Thanks, guys.
4: Okay.
0: Our next question comes from John Grimstead with Piper Jaffray.
1: Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking the questions. Uh, First, could you give us a brief update as to where your claim inventory stands uh, relative to uh,
6: one year ago?
8: You know, we
1: have um, really said that through the year, uh, claims inventory can fluctuate. We take a very long-term view of it, so we'll update uh, at year end when we can compare full year over full year, but we don't and aren't prepared at this point to Disclose current uh, claim inventory. Fair enough. Uh, next, wh- what are your expectations for goodwill out of the APS transaction?
3: We, we are in, in the process of evaluating that. I would expect goodwill be, to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to $60 million from the transaction. Um, it will depend in part on the, the last two months, assuming it closes early December, the last two months of operations of APS.
1: Okay. Thank you. And uh, finally, I might have missed this, but with respect to the new business written this quarter, the 7.9 million. Uh, again, I apologize if I missed it. But the, what are the rates looking like on that relative to to last year? Uh,
4: well, the rates on on new business are, you know, typically similar. We we don't are haven't historically broken that out, but I, I would say that uh, we're generally. Um, charging rates on new business that are pretty similar to our renewal pricing. Uh, It just depends on on the accounts that are involved and the the quality of the account.
9: Thank
0: you. We'll take our next question from Paul Newsom with Sandler O'Neill.
9: Good morning. Thank you for the call. I wanted to follow up on um, Beth's question because in your answer, you said that, uh, and I, I completely make sense to me, that this business uh, is a long-term business, that you take a, a very measured approach towards and, um, uh, the reserves, and that the business doesn't really change very much from quarter to quarter, um, but that doesn't really square with the fact that you tend to have a really big change at the end of the year every year. So um, could you kind of where that with the, the the facts that you that you think this is a very
8: uh, um,
9: slow moving business with the fact that you tend to have a really big change in your reserves at the year end. I mean, it, are you? Yeah. You know, how does the methodology of something, especially if you're doing an action year pick for the year, um, get you with a big change in reserves of the year? I, I'm sorry if I'm just being thick. Uh,
4: that's okay. Uh, I think the the issue is. You know, there's a, there's a process, uh, and, and it's a quite extensive process that we go through both internally and externally. Uh, we have independent uh, actuarial consultant who does a pretty significant amount of work in terms of reserve review, and, and we actually uh, do that twice a year, uh, but there's certainly more emphasis placed on the year-end evaluation. It takes several months to do. Uh, at, and, and we, we actually started as of the end of the third quarter. Uh, we do a lot of work internally on the same basis. Uh, it's really, a, I think, you know, a matter of how much and how often, uh, we, uh, do that type of analysis. And while in theory it could be done every quarter starting with the data from the prior quarter and looking back over the past year, we historically have reserved the, the full uh, extent of that analysis to, to year-end. It coincides with the statutory reporting process, where we have to do much more detail at year-end than we, we do on the quarters, and it also is a matter of how often is, is the right amount of time to do that level and depth of analysis. So that's, that's really the, the basis for it. I don't think there's anything uh, really beyond that. It's, it's more a matter of timing, effort, and, uh, and workload. Great.
9: Uh, I have a completely separate question. Back to, to M&A. Uh, obviously, we're left with sort of only a couple of public uh, uh, companies in the medical mouse practice space. Um, could you maybe just kind of refresh us now that, you know, especially sort of post-AMPH, uh, uh, where you think you stand from a uh, breadth of business, uh, spread of risk basis, and where you'd like to be? and whether or not you think um, there's certainly more consolidation
2: to come or not on a broad basis. This is Stan. M&A transactions tend to be episodic, and they occur not only among those organizations which are in the publicly traded space but can occur... With organizations that are not publicly traded, particularly mutuals. And that, an example of that was the sponsored demutualization of PICA, which we closed in April 2009. Um, you, you cannot predict how or when they will occur. As I say, they are episodic. But uh, in spite of the fact that we as an organization write business across a breadth of states, and indeed when you consider Uh, the podiatric portion of our business, we write in virtually every state. There are many organizations that are limited uh, to one or two states. Uh, I think consolidation is likely to continue to occur because it historically has occurred on a fairly regular basis uh, since the 1990s. But again, one cannot predict the next one or when or how. Uh, one way we diversify our risk in our core medical business uh, is in terms of product diversification and geographic diversification, and we think that's one of the things uh, that enables us to continue to perform well. Uh, the world of medicine is changing. Integration of healthcare care providers from the hospital level down to the home health care nurse uh, are Creating new opportunities for us. That was one of the things, for example, the home healthcare nurse was what our mid-continent acquisition was aimed at. So we think that our geographic reach and our product reach creates real opportunities for us in the changing world of healthcare, not only through mergers and acquisitions, but through organic expansion as well.
9: Thank you very much. Appreciate the call.
0: Once again, if you would like to ask a question, that is star one. And we'll take a follow-up follow up question from Mark Hughes with SunTrust.
6: Uh, thank you. Anything you've seen uh, regarding health care reform, uh, smaller doctor practices, combining with the hospitals or big health systems, either have you seen any pickup in that, or do you think doctors are more serious in evaluating that now? Uh,
2: the New York Times reported earlier this year that 50% of the physicians in this country are employed by hospital or hospital-affiliated organizations. So that indicates to me that, that it is picking up. Uh, there are several factors that are causing physicians to look very seriously at hospital affiliation. One are the reimbursement rates, a second is what I call the bureaucratization of medicine, things such as electronic medical records, increased regulatory burdens. And the third is the demography of medicine is changing. The confluence of all of those factors uh, is causing physicians to take a look at hospitals. And while there was some effort at at integration in the early 90s, by and large, that was unwound. Uh, At the time, it didn't feel particularly right to me. Uh, This feels far more permanent.
6: Have you seen uh, a pickup in that activity in your own book of business?
2: Yes, we've had physician groups go into hospitals, some of which we no longer insure after they go into the hospital, and some of which we continue to insure. So everyone has to be handled differently.
6: Right. Um, can you say what the effect on the uh, current year loss ratio was from the tail policy issue that you talked about?
4: Yeah, it's um, roughly one and a half points uh, on that uh, current accident year loss ratio.
6: Okay. Um, great. Thank
8: you very much.
0: We have a follow-up question from Beth Malone with Wonderless Securities.
8: Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to follow up on the comments that the Texas market seems to be more robust than many others, and I was wondering, is that? Do you think that the increase in application of of physicians is do, is that an economically driven incident, and if so? Could we anticipate an escalation of that as the economy improves in general?
2: You know, Beth, I, the, the, the truthful answer to the question is I don't know what we can anticipate in the future. I think the, the, the Texas ha- is a state that, from what has been reported to, to us, the economy has done better than it has in other parts of the country. Texas also has constitutional tort reform, that is, tort reform that is embedded within the state constitution of Texas, which uh, makes it more sustainable tort reform. Perhaps that's had an influence on it. Uh, the time I spend in Texas, both professionally and personally, indicates to me that, that Texas is a state uh, which in the future will continue to prosper and thrive, and that's why this strategic. Uh, acquisition is important to us. Okay.
8: And uh, one other question for Howard. I know I don't want to beat this to death, but I will anyway. Um, Just wondering, in your commentary that things don't change very quickly on the reserve development side of the severity or frequency trends, how does that explain, or maybe I didn't understand, it. I'm old enough to remember when in the early 2000s, 1999, 2000, 2001, all of the med mal companies experienced a spike in severity, I think it was, that was kind of un- unexpected. And was that just a freak event, or am I describing it wrong because it's been so long? Uh,
4: neither. Um, I, I don't think it was a, a one-time or a uh, The only time it's ever happened, and and I think you're describing it more or less correctly, Uh, I think the industry did see it um, over a period of time, though. Uh, The the increase at that point in time came in the form of of higher claim severity. And it was something that started to build up. Uh, I think there was some denial of it. as in many cases, these types of things uh, are, are met with some denial of, well, let's, uh, let's see what happens, let's see what happens the next quarter, it's only out of this particular state or this particular set of circumstances or claims. Uh, but I think the, the evidence did build up, and in our case, uh, in, the, in the first uh, quarter of 2000, we felt that we had enough evidence over a period of, of time to say that we needed to make an adjustment and reduce the amount of of favorable development that we were seeing from prior years. And then over the course of that year, and this goes back a ways, but I know you were around then, over the course of that year, we continued to see it and we continued to reduce the favorable development. So what I'm saying is we don't ignore the indications going throughout the year. And we certainly look at both frequency and severity every quarter. But we don't uh, try to make the decision for the entire book of historical loss reserves based on one quarter of, of information.
1: Howard, I think one other thing to point out, Beth, getting back to your point where you said it seemed to happen overnight, we recognized it, and then there were questions of the myriad other public companies that have since gone by the wayside, and they said, oh, we don't see it, we don't see it, and then it was, six, nine months, twelve months later that they did see it. So I I think although it, it seems like it hit in an avalanche, it, it really built up more over time. I think probably we were ahead of the curve. We stopped digging the hole early and started filling it before everybody else. Okay.
8: All right, thanks for that explanation.
0: And with no further questions in the queue, I would like to go ahead and turn it back over to Mr. Frank O'Neill for any additional or closing remarks.
1: Uh, Thank you, Jennifer. We'll wish everybody a happy holiday, and we will speak to you again in February when we announce uh, year-end and fourth quarter results.
0: And that does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation.